That was sweet. Oceans and skies sing to him praises. Let's do that. Lord Jesus, there's not enough voices in here, certainly not enough words in here to express the love and the praise we give you. You're certainly a Savior. We want you to be our Lord too, our Master, to do your will and not ours, to lift you up and show man what a great, powerful Savior and friend you are. So this is all for you and about you. We pray that you're pleased, and it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. So Webster's Dictionary defines breathtaking as something that takes one's breath away, something that's startling, thrilling, and amazing beyond belief. I guess uh, Andrea was about eight years old the first time we camped at Disney World, Florida. Now, she'd already been to Disney several times by then, starting at year one and a half, because my wife has ate up with the mouse. But this was the first time we had ever camped at Disney World, and it was also the first time my family had ever been to Hollywood Studios. And Amy, who was around 16 at the time, talked me into going on the Tower of Terror. It was crazy. Now, listen, Andrea, who, again, was about eight, she was a daredevil. Uh, she would ride anything at that age, and she begged me to go on this ride with us, and I said, okay, big mistake, big mistake. Have you been on the Tower of Terror? It's breathtaking for sure. I guess it's based on 1939 and Rod Serling's uh, Twilight Zone, and he talks about how there was this plosh hotel in Hollywood, and it was one gloomy Halloween night, and a bunch of people got on the elevator at this hotel, and it got hit by lightning, and they were never seen again. Do, 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 do. Anyway, you get on the ride, and he's talking to you about that, and you go up and down a couple of times, and then the third time, you shoot up 13 floors, 131 feet up. You go straight up real quick, and they open up the doors, and you can see the entire theme park. And then they slam the door so the lights go out, and he says, welcome to the twilight zone, and you free fall, 13 floors. It's crazy. And I found out from a guy that worked at the Otis Elevator here in Bloomington, helped design that ride, you don't just free fall. They're pulling you, too. So we get down, and I'm telling you, Andrea didn't even know who she was. I, I mean, seriously, she was in the days, what, 15 minutes I carried her around the park. Amy, on the other hand, screaming, Dad, Dad, that was awesome. we got to ride this ride again. I said, we're not riding this ride again. She said, Dad, we at least got to buy a T-shirt that proves we've been on this ride. And the guy behind me said, I don't need no T-shirt. i got a pair of shorts on to prove I've ridden it. <laughs> It, it was breathtaking, okay? So what I'm asking you this morning, have you ever witnessed anything or been anything, maybe even awesome good, that took your breath away? And also, how many times do you think you'd have to see that before it didn't take your breath away? For example, let's, I don't know, maybe the Grand Canyon. How many times do you think you'd have to see the Grand Canyon before it didn't take your breath away? Personally, I've seen it twice, and both times it was, <sighs> takes your breath. And I'm quite certain if I ever see it again, take my breath again. Same thing with Alaska and Hawaii and the Redwoods and 30 times we've seen the fireworks at Disney. Every time I see those things, it's breathtaking. One guy described life this way. He said, life is not defined by how many breaths you take. Life is defined by how many times your breath is taken away. 
And I'm just thinking you and I of all people ought to be people who are constantly gasping at the goodness of God this time of year. Every time you and I see a manger scene, it ought to take our breath away. Every time we see a Christmas tree, every time we hear a Christmas carol, it ought to take our breath away as we think about the baby born and the whole concept behind this. It's joy-filled. Unbelievable stuff. Isaac Watts, 300 years ago, wrote a song titled Joy to the World, and it became one of the most popular Christmas carols of all time. And the funny thing is, it doesn't really reference too much about the birth of Christ. In fact, the only place in the song, it says, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. For the most part, Joy to the World is a song dedicated to the latter part of Psalm 98 that reads like this. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with harp and with a harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. The next two verses read, Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. Isn't that cool? Rivers clapping their hands, mountains singing for joy. You remember back in Luke chapter 19, verse 39? when Jesus was making the triumphal entry and they were laying down palm leaves and he was riding the donkey and all the children and the disciples were singing, Hosanna to the highest. And the, or the Pharisees were so indignant over that. Do you hear what they're speaking, what they're chanting? You need to tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if they're quiet, the rocks will cry out. Somebody's going to praise his name. And that's why the song says, let heaven and nature sing, fields and floods, rock hills and plains. They all repeat the sounding joy. Why? Because all of nature and everybody who lives in nature should be shouting for joy at the birth of Jesus Christ. It's breathtaking. Now, we decided a couple weeks ago that we we're going to work through a few Christmas carols. Last week, we did Hark the Herald Angel Sing. This morning, obviously, joy to the world. And here's point number one. There is joy in the world when we finally understand we need rescued. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. We need rescued. You know, the truth is there are some gifts that we want, and there are some gifts that we need, and sometimes we're not real clear on that until we grow up a little bit. You know what I mean? Uh, my grandkids, for example, there are a few things that they need for Christmas. Nasty, goofy things like shoes and socks and clothes and underwear. If they were clouds, it'd be thunderwear. But their kids, they need underwear, you know what I mean? And they hate that because what want grandkids want are toys and lots of them because they're not quite mature enough to know what they need. And I think there's lots of people running around today who are spiritually immature. And they don't even know they need rescued. They don't need, know that they need the king of the universe to come down at Christmas and rescue them. That every one of us is hopelessly lost on a planet that is seeped with sin. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. And the wages of sin is death. And you couple that with how many times you and I sin, we're in trouble. Do you remember back in 2003 when the spaceship Challenger exploded on reentry? Remember how tragic that was? Seven crew members lost their lives. Well, they determined, NASA determined, that the problem actually happened during takeoff when a piece of that flyaway foam came off the... Uh, the fuel tank and hit the wing and damaged it just enough that it couldn't stand the heat of reentry. And so for 15 days and 22 hours, these seven crew members went about their mission doomed and they didn't even know it. Everything seemed okay. They couldn't see the damage to the wing. They needed rescued and didn't even know it. And the, the, the engineers on the ground were debating on how bad it was. And so they finally emailed them on the, on the ship 
and said that there was no problem, no, nothing to worry about with this piece of foam in the wing. And so not only did things seem okay to them, that they were hearing voices from authority telling them everything was okay. So there's no concern, no reason to be alarmed. And so they just went about their mission, doomed the whole time. They had no idea they needed rescued. And I'm telling you, that's the sad state of affairs with the world we're living in right now. They need rescued and they don't even know it. When the first sin happened through Adam and Eve, it might have appeared like not such a big deal, but the entire planet was violated. That's why the Bible tells us that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Adam and Eve's sin separated, alienated us from God. We're in big trouble. And yet you look around today and people are just going about their lives like they don't have a clue. Just going to work, just having pleasure, just studying, just doing whatever they do. Not even realizing that they're living on a planet that's alienated from God and doomed to destruction. The Bible says that in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving into marriage. The very day Noah entered the ark, nobody even understood what was coming on until the flood came and swept them all away. And the Bible says the same thing in the coming of the Son of Man. He's just going to show up one day. It could be any day. We talked about when is Christ coming back, church? We don't know. I just want to make sure we were listening. You're right. But seriously, we hear voices of authority talking to us all the time these days. Say, we got it. Don't worry about it. Scientists telling us, we, you know, we're going to take care of the plastic issue and the carbon stuff and, you know, the climate change, whether that's true or not, doesn't make any difference. They got our backs. They're having summits. They got it. Politicians are telling us, we got it. Don't worry about it. Doesn't matter if you hate Trump, love Trump. Doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican. You just follow us and just do what we tell you to do and just love everybody. Don't call anything a sin and coexist. We got your back. And yet the Bible predicts that elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything, and it'll be destroyed. Somebody says, wait a minute, Cain, this sounds pretty gloomy for a Christmas sermon. Are you kidding me? Just the opposite. There's joy to the world. That's why we can sing. Listen, we can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to fix the problem that's already had. We can't repair it. It's beyond repair. So God did it for us. Centuries ago, uh, Horace, who was a famous uh, Roman poet, he was given a class on how to write a tragedy in a play. And he said, listen to me, never bring God onto the stage until the problem is so big that only God can fix it. We're living in a world right now, the problem is so big that only God can fix it. And so 2,000 years ago, he sent his son here at Christmas to do that. Can you sing joy to the world? You can if you realize you need rescued. Point number two, joy to the world when we acknowledge Jesus as our Savior. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rock hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. Always loved Matthew 1, 20 through 22. And it talks about God's angel spoke to Joseph. And he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do, took Mary home with him to be his wife. The angel said, the child will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God did not look down at the planet and say, hmm, that's a good looking boy. I think I'll adopt him, give him a few special powers, and let him one day die for the sins of the world. That is not what happened. God looked down and saw the mess we were in. He said, I'm going to go down there and fix it myself. 
And so when we sing joy to the world, we're not singing joy that Jesus was an adopted son. We're singing joy that Jesus was incarnated God. We talked about that last week. He said, if you've seen Abraham, or before Abraham was, I am. He said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. He said, I and the Father are one. In fact, John chapter 5 verse 18 says that's why the Jews plotted to start to kill him, because he was equating himself with God. That's big stuff. If I came in here today and told you that I was Albert Einstein reincarnated, you'd probably say, Proof. My mom laughed at that. <laughs> you'd probably say, Prove it. Tell us, explain to us the theory of relativity or something. If I told you that I was Elvis Presley reincarnated, you'd probably say, Prove it. Sing a couple of songs and do the twist. I did get one of those things you'd know pretty quick. I'm not Elvis, thank you very much. But you know, my point is, that Jesus proves he's God by doing the things that only God could do. He was an extraordinary, he was born an extraordinary birth. We talked about that last week. Born of a virgin. Nobody else can claim that. He, he lived a life that was perfect. The Bible says nobody found fault with him. He spoke with, in, in ways that they'd never heard. And the people said, we've never had anybody speak with such authority. He, he did un, undeniable miracles. He calmed the storm. He walked on the water. He fed 5,000 people. He raised the dead. He made unbelievable prophecies about his own future. He said, we're going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested, have a mock trial. They're going to flog me, crucify me in three days. I'm going to raise back to life. He even died an incredibly inspirational death. When he died, one of the cynical centurions who had seen several executions in his life walked away saying, surely that was the Son of God. He celebrated a spectacular resurrection. As far as I know, nobody else on this planet's ever done that. And he's the only one who left the planet in such a dramatic, thrilling way. He ascended into the clouds with his father. And the Bible says, one day a trumpet's going to sound and he's coming back to get us. And today the offer for everybody in this room is, I am the resurrection and the life. Anybody who believes in me will live even though they die. I think he's done all he should do to prove it, who he is. There was a cartoon one time I saw I really liked. It was a, a prosecutor was talking to the judge and said, Judge, we need to throw the book at this guy. He's a repeat offender. The judge said, what'd he do? He said, well, he got arrested in 1919 for selling these same phony uh, fountain of youth pills. He was arrested for the same thing in 1819 and 1719. And... You don't have to laugh. Raise your hand if you got that. My point is, at some point, <laughs> the evidence takes over the argument. And Jesus has done everything he needs to do to prove that he was he said he was, God in the flesh. The prophet Zephaniah said, the Lord your God will be with you. He is mighty to save. And my question to you this morning is, have you let him? Have you allowed him to save your life, to be your savior? Let's say back in 2003 that NASA had figured out that really was a problem, and so they sent another ship up there to help the doomed ship, and they tethered it next to that ship, and they sent an astronaut uh, on a wire over to tap on the door and say, here, come on out, I'm here to rescue you. Do you think that those seven crew members would have said, wait a minute, is this the only way? Is there another way to be saved? Do you think they would have said, uh, wait a minute, are you, are you sure it's that serious? No, I think they would have been tickled to death to take their escape, and we should be too. That's why we sing joy to the world. Jesus came to earth, knocked on the door of our heart, and said, come follow me and I will save you. John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in the son is saved. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he did not believe in God's one and only son. He came Christmas to rescue us. But I tell you one of the most fascinating things to me is not just that he died 
uh, sacrificed his life for us is that he died and sacrificed his life for our sins. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6 reads, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I brought me a couple bottles in here this morning. This one is uh, sealed. Uh, it's a bottle, bottle of water, and it's guaranteed right on the bottle to be pure. I think any of you in here would drink it. I think everybody in here has had a bottle of water. This one, Scott Scroggins was in there with me because he watched me. I took this in the bathroom and filled it up with toilet water. And I don't mean the tank, man. I got this out of the bowl. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I doubt if any of you in here would drink this unless I paid you lots of money and I don't have lots of money. But let's say this. How about if I just took a cap full out of that one and put it in that one? Would you still drink it? You'd say, no, man, it's still polluted. It's not as polluted as the other one. It's still polluted. Family, that's where we're at. We've all sinned. It has nothing to do with degrees. It's, it's that there's nothing impure in heaven. God is light, and then there is no darkness. There can't be any sin in heaven. So even if you're lots better than the person you're sitting next to, and, and, and I'm sure you are if you're sitting next to Crawdad or Melvin, but even if you're the best person in this room, you're still full of sin, and we have a problem. Jesus came into the world to cleanse us of sin and make us fit for heaven, and he's the only way. In fact, there's three big differences about Christianity that causes us to be a religion that we can't mix with all the others. The world wants us to mix them all up, and we can't possibly do that. Because number one, Jesus is the only religious leader that claimed to be the Son of God. Confucius didn't say that. Buddha didn't. Muhammad didn't. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, which means he's either the greatest con man that ever lived, or he's exactly who he said he was. Secondly, Jesus said that he would raise from the dead, and he did by way of historical fact. Nobody else that I know have ever done that. Muhammad's bones is in his tomb. Buddha's in his. Muhammad's in his. Only Jesus Christ's tomb is empty, and that's historical fact, by the way. And thirdly, Jesus says that you come to the Father through grace and not works. What a breath of fresh air. Lots of religions out there teach you to get to eternal life if you live a good life. Only Jesus teaches there's no way you can pull this off on your own. So I'll take care of it for you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. That's why Peter would later say, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. Now you're probably thinking, wait a minute, Cain. This sounds more like a gospel sermon than a Christmas sermon. That's why I'm trying to tell you. The Christmas sermon is the gospel sermon. It's good news. That's why we sing joy to the world. It is breathtaking what took place on Christmas 2,000 years ago. One morning we'll pray. There's joy to the world when you accept Jesus as your Savior and allow Him to be Lord of your life, too. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Make Him Lord of your life. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 says, Whoever's thirsty, let him come and drink from the water of life. And the offer that Jesus gives at Christmas is, come and accept me as your Lord and your Savior, and life will never be the same again. It's exhilarating. Those of us that have done it know what I'm talking about. It's inexpressible joy. Talk to Jesse. She just was baptized last week. But I'm going to remind you again, family, that God's a gentleman. You're not going to force us on anybody. And it's been kind of sad, tragic, and kind of odd to watch in the 40 years or so that I've been in ministry to watch people choose because we choose. Just like the Christmas time, the wise men made one choice, Herod made another. Same evidence, different choices. And I've watched people all these years, same evidence, 
different choices. What's your choice today? You're going to choose him to be your savior? Man, your life will never be the same again. He's amazing. And if you're here today and you're already a Christian and you've never made him Lord of your life, he's your savior, but you're kind of just doing things your way, how you want it done. Today's the day to make him the Lord of your life. Changes everything. One person once said that if you got one foot in the canoe and one foot on the, on the dock, it'll get uncomfortable real quickly. And I'll tell you, it's the same thing if you got one foot in the church and one foot in the world, especially these days. Duplicity is hard on the heart. Hypocrisy will just wear you out. It's time for us Christians to give our hearts and our minds to the Savior of ours and say, not my will be done. I'll do whatever you want me to do. It sounds too good to be true, but I'm telling you, it's too good to be missed. About 17 years ago, Phil Russell, uh, the son of Bob Russell, I'm sure you've heard of him, <laughs> my favorite of all times, but he, uh, he was a Metro, Louisville Metro Police. Is he still on the police force? Well, anyway, he had a buddy of his that was telling him a funny story. This is 17 years ago, and he said, he said, funniest thing happened to me last night, Phil. I pulled this little old lady over at 2 o'clock in the morning for speeding. And he says, I was walking up the car, she had the window down, and I heard preaching, and the closer I got, I thought it sounded like Bob. And he said, I asked this little lady, is that Bob Russell? And she said, oh, yeah, I just love to hear him preach. And he said, I thought that was pretty cool. And I, I ma'am, what's that you're smoking? I smell pot. And he said, he got her out of the car, and this woman was stoned out of her mind, this little lady, and she had a big bag of pot in the back. And Phil told his dad the next day, he said, Dad, this is unbelievable. They used to get stoned listening to Doobie Brothers. Now they do it listening to, you're a rock star, he said. <laughs> <laughs> to be a Christian has nothing to do with who you listen to, who you steal from, what books you read. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we're singing these songs at Christmas, even if we mean them. Being a Christian means that we are people who have given over our life to our Savior. Not to earn our right to heaven, but to please Him. To say, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Because you're the King of my life. You're the Lord of my life. I always love the story Gene Apple tells about the Harris family. They were going on vacation, last, last gig of the summer, and they went to their lake house. They had a little cabin that they rented out on the lake. Anyway, the dad was down getting a boat put up for the year. He had a 12-year-old son and a 3-year-old son, and the 12-year-old son was supposed to be watching the 3-year-old son. You know how that goes. And they got down on the docks, and the 12-year-old kind of took his eyes off his brother for just a minute, and he wandered over to the aluminum boat, and he was playing that one foot in and one foot off, back and forth a little bit, and finally he fell in, three years old. Well, now the 12-year-old's tuned back in. He lets out a blood-curdling scream. The dad comes running, knew immediately what had happened. He didn't even ask. He just jumped in. But the water's about six feet deep, which really isn't deep. It's real murky and muddy, and you couldn't see anything. So the dad's down on the bottom, feeling around frantically, trying to find his three-year-old son in the six feet of dirty water. And he's just about to run out of breath. So he starts up to catch his breath, and he bumps into his three-year-old, four feet of water hanging onto the dock. So he pries his fingers loose, and they get up just in time. They're sucking in the air, and they kind of get themselves gathered, and they get up on the dock, and they're sitting there. And the dad finally looks over to the three-year-old. He says, Billy, what in the world were you doing hanging onto the dock in four feet of water? And with the wisdom you only hear from a three-year-old boy, he said, I'm just waiting for you to come and get me, Daddy. You want something to take your breath away at Christmas? 
God of the universe left the splendor of heaven and dove into this nasty, dark, dirty world just to save us. And we come this morning to celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of our Christmas gift.